Welcome to the Meltzone Podcast. This is episode 65. I'm Tom. And I'm Stefan. And on today's episode, we're going to talk about the power outage I had this morning and which kind of shifted my work schedule a little bit. So I was asking myself if a solar battery would maybe solve this problem in the future. Uh, of course, on other, other topics, we're also going to talk about AI-generated images, videos, 3D models, and especially uh, things currently revolving around the Nerf method. Then some 3D printer-related stuff, the new Bamboo Lab P1P. Um, why is it cheaper than the last one? Is it still worth buying? And what are the differences to the X1, which is still on back order at the moment and then a bit of talk about anchors or anchor makes new m5 3d printer and why there is or why there might currently be um not as much cover coverage as you guys would love or might be interested in ah drama don't we love drama some more drama about uh 3d printing industry and their awards awards that they're giving out Stefan has been to Formlex and he's seen some stuff and still sees some stuff, thankfully. Um, Creality may have or, or had a chance to change that by doing something incredibly stupid at that show. Uh, lastly, we close this out with some coffee talk, which don't, don't, don't turn this episode off yet. Um, it is actually surprisingly similar to 3D printing and it's, it's, it's kind of eye-opening how that all works. And of course, we answer a question from you guys about Stefan's plywood CNC. Do you do you currently have some sunshine? Do you still have some sun, some solar power? You don't. Nah. Have, do you have windows? S sun's going down. I I do have windows. <laughs> well, in my in my new studio, they're they're all uh, just covered by yeah YouTube stuff syndrome. that na yeah white balance. Um, no, consistent but, exposure. Yeah. I, I even told you to put your camera on fixed exposure before you started this recording. <laughs> My yeah. production value, or <laughs> at least the amount of work that I put into my shots, is I, I think quite a bit less than than you did. But yeah, um, there isn't a ton of sun anymore. I, I actually need to check that if we are That's still getting a couple of watts out of your solar system. Uh, I think mine's done forty for watts. Today. Forty ah. watts. <laughs> Eno um, enough for the light right here. Right enough for the light, there. but yeah, the computer pushes it over. Yeah, the thing, yeah. the thing here is the the not smoke, but the water vapor plume out of the uh, ESA two uh, nuclear power plant actually blocks off the light uh, <laughs> for for like solar power at. 3 p.m. or so or 4 p.m. Yeah. depending on, on on what time of year it is so everyone around here gets zero solar power um because the the, the nuclear power plant is is running but thank you for <laughs> being okay with <laughs> a a nuclear power plant that just has maybe some dripping wells next yeah, to you yeah it's it's Thanks all non-critical stuff team. it's all non-critical stuff don't worry about it plus it's going i think it's going offline by the end of this year anyway. Or maybe not. That, or maybe they're going to run it for another six months. We don't know. <laughs> but I think they're going to let it run until March or April next year. I have no idea. Or is, that, they, they, is that still They keep the going line? back and forth. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's been there my entire life. Uh, it's been a, a staple of the landscape. Yeah. Uh, when you when you drive home on the on the A92, you, you drive past it and you know you're almost home. <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't know. I, 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 the thing is, it, it's also been a huge driver for uh, for the economy. Like some of the some of the villages around it, basically they they live and breathe <laughs> off of the off of the nuclear power plant and the jobs that has created. Um, there's a ton of of electrical infrastructure, so we're pretty good when it comes to like power outages and brownouts. So we we're, we're pretty solid. You not so much. Yeah. So <laughs> it is very rare in Germany that we have power outages. Yeah. So usually I encounter them maybe once or twice a year for an hour or two. That's a but lot, actually. Here it's like maybe every five years you get like 50 minutes of outage. But that's yeah, so only because there's like a construction crew doing something that down the road. <laughs> so yeah, but it, but it happened this morning again. So we were sitting at the breakfast, uh, fortunately already made tea and coffee. And then just lights started flickering and power was gone. And the thing is, my studio is pretty close. I also noticed that there is no power in the studio. So hmm. I basically could not work anything, <laughs> which was... Kind of weird where you realize how much dependent on electricity yep. you are at the moment. Of course, uh, most of the stuff like phones, laptops, etc., they have their own built-in batteries. Yeah. But when you don't have Wi-Fi <laughs> to connect anything to, uh, then like, yeah, your laptop's kind of useless. Thankfully, most of these cell services, they have backup generators and, and that sort of infrastructure, I think, is there even you know for emergency calls. Um, and that yeah. kind of has to stay up. But yeah, when when your entire house is dark, that's yeah. that's weird. And you you don't have any any backup power generators, solar batteries that would feed your house. I don't have I don't either. I have the solar battery, but that's not backup power. That is literally just yeah. to make use of the spare generated electricity during the night. And I think that th that is something that people that own a power system and especially a battery often don't really realize. This, if you have a solar system and a solar battery, this doesn't mean that you have backup power. If the grid turns off most, so the inverters usually just shut off just yeah. to that uh, the grid itself is safe if, if somebody's working on it. But um, many batteries, or at least the ones I, I got quotes for, um, are not able and just don't restore it if there's a power outage. So they're not acting as a... They, they, they restart afterwards, but they don't buffer your, your system while there is an outage. But many even don't restart. Most of them don't restart. Oh, does, okay. your, does, does yours restart? Uh, I think mine does often. But yeah, I've had that happen where I just I just uh, tripped the breaker, uh, the, the fee. Yeah. Um, and then I had to like manually restart the battery on top of that. Okay. I did not realize so, that was a feature. So... <laughs> But the, the solar <laughs> inverters do restart. So hmm. yours do restart. Yes, yeah. The solar inverters always always restart once they they get uh, electricity or mains power back. Well, yeah, when they get rain, mains powers back. But if mains powers is gone, yeah, you're doing that. That 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 dead. Yeah, exactly. And uh, that's the same thing for for us. So, um, my dad and my parents live live next to us. They do have a a gas. Uh, just a gas power generator somewhere outside in a shed and um, maybe just for really bad times now it was thrown out years ago from a company and it was just sitting right. in there for, for years now um, we didn't use it this morning because 
I don't know. It's, it's, it, 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 we did not have that need for electricity at the moment, but it is something that could potentially save, save us if, if we know that there's going to be like one or two days without power. And, uh, yeah, we have a solar system, but we don't have a battery at the moment. I got some quotes, um, at the last weeks because we would like to have a battery because, um, I think it's just a really nice feeling for me when I know that I'm using my own electricity. And that's that's why, with, why I got mine too, yeah. Yeah, and with increasing electricity prices, it gets more and more viable, even though it, it's still like, it's still an edge case in my opinion. The return of investment is yeah. not really there. Like it, it's basically if you, though I, I gotta say my, my battery is now five years old, I think, and it's reading yeah. 90% capacity. So okay. That's good, and I'm I'm making heavy use of that. Like it's almost seeing a full cycle every single day. Um, so it's a regular NCM lithium ion battery. Um, yeah. So it's it's holding up better than than expected. But if you if you look at how much the battery is going to degrade and how long it's going to last, it's like yeah. By the time that you've made your money back on what you invested, the battery's dead. So yeah. it's a zero sum game. But of course, you get the good feeling. On the other hand, like. Producing batteries is not the most eco-friendly thing to start with. So, like, yeah, yeah. But if you're just thinking about, of course, you are living quite close to to a power plant, so grid losses are kind of low. But if I'm thinking that I get my electricity from, I don't know, 200, 300 kilometers away from a power plant, either from your power plant or <laughs> somewhere at the Rhine River... Uh, there are significant, like uh, just just energy losses, losses in the grid. Yeah. So, like one kilowatt that's generated at at the power plant is maybe just like five hundred watt hours where where I'm living. Um, so, it is in a way economic. Um, e but yeah, ecological too. Yeah, e ecological. So oh, that that was what I was wanted to say. So, and when we got the quotes, um, of course, with people currently being scared of having like uh blackouts in germany because um yeah of course which honestly i think is like way overhyped and there are certainly some companies who profit off of that like those who sell you like backup batteries and stuff definitely uh, but i was discussing yeah. with my wife about that and she also said yeah it would be nice if we would have a backup um but so for the batteries or f with the companies that I discussed having the possibility or usually it's it's an additional inverter that you're having that feeds into either just one socket next to your battery or just feeds one face in your house that's usually a thousand to fifteen hundred bucks yeah. and the question is if this is happening once a year is it really worth worth that um and the thing is, especially in winter, when we have snow on the roof and we basically use any anything that is produced uh, by the solar system directly in our house because also the, the sun is so low and things like that. Yeah. I think during the time when a backup battery would be interesting, it's, during these times, it's it's usually empty. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I think in the in the states it's just it's a lot more common to have your um, solar battery as a backup battery as well for I think a, a couple of things. So the first of all the U.S. grid is a lot 
older than than the yeah. one in Germany. The one in Germany is like there's, there, there wasn't much left after World War Two, so it's all relatively fresh. Um, and the one in the states uh, is just a lot more grown and and janky in a lot of ways. Um, but also, you typically don't have three phase. Um, so Germany, every single house since the eighties is is connected to three phase power. So you need an inverter that connects to all those three phases mm. if you want real backup power. No. Um, my solar pa- battery also just runs on one phase because it is less than two point something kilowatts. I don't know where the cutoff. No, four point six is the cutoff for single phase. Yeah, no. um, twenty amps. Um, so you need a three phase inverter, which is more expensive. Mm. Um, also, what it, what it, what are seeing? Aside from solar inverters, is people have like backup generators in their backyard that are just in like a little <laughs> housing and they, they run a, a wire to the house and to the main breaker panel and there's an automatic yeah. switch over in there. Yeah. So in case the power goes out, that thing turns on and you're now running seam- more or less seamlessly. It takes a couple yeah. of seconds to turn on though. But you, you have more or less seamless backup power. So wow. I feel like there is more of a need for that sort of, of backup than there is here. Um, and and yeah, the entire thing with like power outage protection on printers too. I I never really saw the the point in that until I realized well they're still in the states too and their power outage is like super common versus here. Yeah. It's not. I mean, spending any amount of money um, aside, if you have like network storage that really takes a dump if you just yank the power. Aside from that, it's it's just not worth thinking about it uh, here yeah. at least. That's a good thing. And yeah, uh, generators have been becoming so popular during like the summer and and probably fall because people are, are scared. But I also don't really see the need for that. And we are now going to purchase a battery without an additional inverter just to be on the safe set. Because in my opinion, it doesn't make that much of a sense maybe the the thing is also yeah my parents live next door and they are heating their house with a conventional just wood oven so right so that, thinks, that, that the thing is that that stays on if you have a, a power outage right if you have a yeah. gas boiler or gas yeah. heater or oil yeah. or whatever yeah that's out too because that needs yeah. electricity to run uh, yeah exactly so. so um i think we're not going to freeze to death no and things like, yeah, the, what happened in, I think it was in Texas last year when there was like a blackout for, for days and days and just pipes were freezing in house and, and things like that. I think the potential is not that high, but of course there's always a bit of a danger, but I don't think it's it's, yeah. it's really that imminent. So it's, what I was thinking about is like, hey, what are the chances for that to happen? What impact is, yeah. is that going to have? And how much is it's it's the, the classic insurance thing, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> how much do you want to spend in insurance yeah. versus how much is the actual event? How likely is the actual event? Yeah. And how much of a how much damage is that going to cause? Yeah. And usually it's not worth it. Yeah, um, I, I got to say, I'm, I'm very happy to have a battery. Um, I've spent a ton of time writing software to make optimal use of that to control. I mean, you, just before we started recording, <laughs> I turned off the um, dehumidifier in here and the air ventilation. Yeah. I've got software running that controls that and makes predictions for the next 48 hours. Probably not needed, right? It's probably probably way overkill. It also manages charging the car and has like a priority system where it's like, hey, this this thing has, um, 
has done X amount of time off how much I want it to run this day. So it, it gets a lower amount of priority versus one that, that still needs to run more. It's just fun to write, right? It's, it's fun to, to write software. It's fun to experiment, fun yeah. to tie those knots in your brain uh, where it's like, okay, if, if this, I, I want to taper this off and then like, how do you put that into code? Mm-hmm. I, I think that's a fun challenge, but it's, like I said, it, it's it's not worth the time financially, definitely. Um, but but, but that's the thing about that. But that's the thing about a hobby. So yes, yeah. for you it is kind of a pleasure and a hobby to to do these automations because you kind of see the results in the end. Yeah, you can use your your electricity or your solar way more efficiently, and it's something that you don't usually don't film, which is even way yes. more enjoyable yes 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 <laughs> there i've got the i've got the grafana dashboard to show yeah. for it um yeah. so yeah it's it is it is very actively getting managed um it's just fun to do really really nice so i just just while we were talking about the little first bit and before we jump into 3d printing topics i know it's been 60 minutes but if if you guys are listening to this podcast, you know you know what you're getting. Um, I put Nerf in there, which is neural radiation ra- radiance fields. Yes. Have you seen the corridor video from yesterday? Because I yes, have, I, I have, have seen not. It. I've seen the thumbnail. Ah, I have not it. watched it yet. So, I was I was actually thinking about that. Could I just make use of that for like all the printer B roll? Could it just like create one Nerf? So put, let me fill you guys in. So Nerf. Basically, you think about photo scanning and creating a 3D model off of a, of a scene and you forget everything about, you know about that. Um, so Nerf, basically, you walk around any room, object, whatever, and then you pile that video, that, that, that amount of photos, into a learning-based algorithm neural network. And it recreates an understanding of that scene. I think we've touched on Nerfs before. Um, and then it allows you to move around that scene freely, basically. Mm. So I'm thinking, hey, I've got the, the printer set up. I, I, I can just create a Nerf uh, and then use a virtual camera to get detail shots and pickups yeah. and, and whatever. Just in, in video print. I know it's not 3D printer related, but it's, it's just video production stuff yeah. that I'm, I'm really interested in, in, in seeing and trying out. Have you played? I haven't tried. I haven't tried it. I used photogrammetry in the past, but with photogrammetry, you have the problem that if you're having translucent objects or reflective objects, they're not going to work. And the thing with this new method is that it has an understanding about the materials that are in that scene. I I think that's a stretch. I, I don't think it has like an understanding of the materials. I think it has an understanding of how the material looks how the material yeah I, I, looks it, it looks and behaves it, it uh, so the way i understand it is it doesn't actually do reflections it just knows hey if this spot i look at this from this mm. angle it has this color if i look at it from yeah. a different angle it has different color because i don't know maybe it's a it's a shimmery material maybe it's a reflection mm-hmm. the model does not care about it all it knows is hey it looks different if i look at it from different angles and it reproduces that I think that's 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 really the core. It doesn't, from an from an abstract point of view, this thing does not know anything about. Well, m- maybe it does about geometry and material properties. It's just understanding how to reproduce an image that looks like it was taken from that angle. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right about that. Um, I I have to be honest. When I watched the video yesterday, I I uh, was uh, sharpening. <laughs> 
my kitchen knife so i probably <laughs> did not did not uh uh just just get everything but it was really impressive to see yeah to be honest the question is uh, I, I think what they showed yesterday in the video that was running locally on their machines, so yep. uh, the generation of like the scene and everything. Uh, I don't know how much compute power you really need. Of course, you, you just you need have to pay a forty ninety. So it's yeah. not. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it runs. So of course, with with all this stuff, you need a ton of, of video memory. Um, yeah, and I think they've been running on, on like thirty nineties and 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 thirty eighties okay. and stuff. Um, of course, you, you do get like limited resolution if you get yeah. a lower spec graphics card as far as yeah. video RAM goes. Um, but it's you don't need a supercomputer to run these. Uh, in yeah. fact, there is some stuff that runs on, on your iPhone, but I don't know where the computation for that happens, whether that actually runs locally mm. on your iPhone or whether it's a, an outsourced cloud process. Probably in the cloud, yeah. Um, but where, where this gets interesting for 3D printing is... There is a way to get a solid model out of these nerfs. Um, there is, I don't know if it's if it's like one specific implementation of nerf that can do mm-hmm. this, or whether it is literally just using the reconstructed nerf scene to pull mm-hmm. additional angles off of and then feed that yeah. into a photogrammetry model. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it it does tie in. You can create solid models from the nerfs that you, that mm-hmm. you get, and the, of course, the, the the cool thing about nerfs is that if you have like clouds and stuff, those get represented mm-hmm. as well. Um, so there has to be some sort of a, of a cutoff threshold for like, hey, is this actually a solid part of the scene or not? Mm. Because the 3D printer can't really do clouds yet. No. What would be, what'd be really cool though? Like <laughs> ver- variable density material. Huh. <laughs> the All of the forming materials. Yeah, but they, they don't go yeah. far enough. Like, maybe they if, don't go far enough. Yeah, maybe you need you need. And I've seen those uh, printers that print polyurethane foam. Yeah, yeah. which where well, I'm not really a fan of because it's still nasty stuff in the end. And um, but yeah, definitely, um, it it does get additional information. The thing and the thing I'm not really happy about. Also seeing like companies marketing photogrammetry and a bunch of just like consumer 3D scanners for 3D printing is that they kind of fake the resolution that they can do they can do due to the textures that they are applying to the models. If you're just taking a look at at the final mesh in the end, and this is the stuff that gets fed into the 3D printer and printed out in the end. That stuff is sometimes really, really low resolution. Yeah. So um, things that also what you did in the past, trying to copy parts uh, in the first place, photogrammetry and also probably this doesn't give you a reference for scale. Of course, you can just scale the models in the end with with one reference dimension, but this is not something that directly... Yeah. Uh, is given to you by by the method that you're doing in comparison to a proper 3D scanner that is calibrated with a grid where it knows this needs to be that big. Um, yeah, and then in the end, you have the problem that it's it's just 
faking resolution. Um, I, I don't want to say faking resolution, but sure, if you if you have a photogrammetry model that has a texture applied to it, it looks like a lot more detail than it yep. actually is. And that might be useful um, if you're not really printing it, if you're using it for uh, video game assets uh, or yep. for 3D renders, then... The tech, that's how video games work, right? You don't yeah. have a mesh that has millions of polygons um, and just a, a, a texture that does nothing. No, the, the, most of the information is in texture, bump map, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. um, which something like Polycam can give you. Um, yeah. It can give you a bump map, um, a normal map, et cetera. Um, but for, for 3D printing, for reproducing a part, that's yeah. mostly useless. Um, I'm very happy with the, the EinScan S... E that I have, SP. yeah, SE the P is the better one, yeah. but I'm really happy with that. That is a structured light scanner from six yeah. years ago or something, yeah. and the models that creates that that's actually the one that I used for yeah. copying that cheap plastic part. <laughs> um, the models that that gives you have, I think they have a texture to them, but really it gives you sub millimeter resolution and accuracy, mm-hmm. and because you calibrate it with a calibration target, you get parts yeah. that are dimensionally there. So yeah. that's something that I, that I very much um, think is, is useful for 3D printing photogrammetry. I don't know, Nerf. I, I, I don't know. This, so this, especially the Nerf stuff is all still developing. Um, and that's, that's the thing. You just need ideas how you can use this technology for a specific application. And as you just said, uh, if, if you're in the end, just use the Nerf for creating additional scenes and shots for your photogrammetry this might already be a possibility to increase the resolution of a photogrammetry yeah. scan. That's really interesting. Um, maybe, maybe to to stick with this, I just put a, another note in the, mm-hmm. in the in the show notes here. The um, what of, obviously ties into this entire neural network thing is AI image generation. I mean, that's that's really what's kicked off the. I I don't even know if AI is the, is the correct term for this, but like neural generation let's let's say yeah. that that's what it is um with stable diffusion with dolly with with all those the amount of progress that that has made mm. in the last six months even mm. is absolutely incredible like yeah. going from hey dolly can create something that l- looks believable if you don't mm. look too close to now we have stable diffusion derivatives that that produce photos of people that are literally mm. indistinguishable from a real person. Yeah. Um, maybe there's some trained algorithm that can distinguish them. But if you look at them with your bare eyes, no chance. Like, yeah. you're going to get a confusion rate of, of, of perfectly 50%, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, so that that is amazing. And mm. you can also use those models in a way to create 3D models as well. Um, so the, the classic one, of course, is the, the avocado chair. Um, you can instruct a model to create that and and reorient it from different angles, basically. So mm-hmm. create, take that same model and say, "Hey, I want this one from the left," and say this yeah. one from the right. And I, I, I'm I'm not firm on the exact process, but I think you're feeding the 3D model back in, and then you're saying, "Hey, make this an mm-hmm. avocado chair," and then it gives you a new perspective, and you use that for okay. photogrammetry. Over, don't I, I'm on very thin ice here, but yeah. you can use those models for for 3D for dreamed up 3D models as well. Mm-hmm. Um. So the things like Dolly and, and all of the other um, neural image generators, they have been trained with like billions and billions of, of 
images that you can just find on Google and things like that. I'm I'm really interested in finding out if companies that try to reproduce 3D models from images and things like that also kind of maybe even uh, um, I don't know extract models from Thingiverse and GrabCAD and things like that. All of the freely available sources of 3D models that, that we currently have feeding that into into an algorithm and using those models to to train an algorithm in the end perhaps sometime because in the you, future because you yeah. need because you need this training data of of course the question in the end is if like technical models that you're having if if right. those are really valuable for such an ai but with maybe even like 3D scanning databases or databases where you can download assets for games and things like that. Yeah. I I, th I think that is quite a gold mine for algorithms like that. So I'm really excited to see what's what's coming in the future. I think just just shooting off the hip here. I think that the trickiest <laughs> part is actually going to be having a um, a mesh representation of of your model. Yeah. I think with, yeah. with like a voxel-based generation, it might work because voxel basically is just 3D pixels, right? Um, yeah. And these algorithms work on pixels. Mm. Um, and you can actually see that with stable diffusion, if you use um, a different output size, it creates vastly yeah. different looking images. If you go yeah. to a thumbnail size, it, the, 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 the images that it creates look yeah. completely different versus going to 2,000 pixels. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, th I think you're not going to get a mesh, you're going to get a voxel model and... Maybe with that, yeah, that 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 could work because currently the what, what I just talked about is not generating a three D model directly. It's generating images of what it thinks a three D model no. should look like, and then you reconstruct the model from that. <laughs> Exciting stuff for sure. Um, Exciting stuff. Of course, there's the entire copyright thing, which Microsoft is currently learning with um, GitHub Copilot. Uh, oh, tell me more. Have you followed that? No. Okay. So yeah. GitHub Copilot came out a year ago or something, and it's basically a neural network autocomplete for coding. So you would write, you, you, you'd open up your, I, I tried it. It's it's really amazing, but it's it's also pretty dangerous. Um, you basically enable the, the, the Copilot plugin, and you start typing your code. Uh, you start like, hey, dev clear database whatever and then it mm -hmm. auto suggests a function that would do just that for example or you start writing out a loop and in context it it, it creates okay this is probably what you want in that loop you can cycle through suggestions etc etc and that of course has been trained on github uh, microsoft owns github and they used all the code that is public on github to train that ai and they're currently mm -hmm. being slapped with a with a lawsuit saying hey you, you know, this is a breach of license. You, you're not mm. authorized to use this open source code, mm. whatever license. Mm. Uh, first of all, to to train your AI, and second of all, to then reproduce it in a proprietary piece of software. Um, mm -hmm. And that is, of course, very very new ground. Like, hey, is this a a derived work? Is this mm. a you know significantly um, What's the word? Remixed? Um, there's a fair use term for this. Um, is this new work? What? What's What's the value add they're adding? Is it okay. really just reproducing code? And I think it's it's the same with, like you said, with crawling Thingiverse, Prusa Printer. Mm. No, uh, printable, sorry. Uh, old habit. Um, 
is that something that he legally can do even though licenses on, on 3d models are already pretty disputed so um <laughs> can you do that and also there's of course the same thing with with image generation like if you if you take award-winning photos you you'd use them for training and then uh your ai model produces something that looks like that because mm. it learned how to mm. it's it's all very new ground it's all very exciting to to find out like what's actually the right thing to do and yeah there there, there there are some camps that are starting to form i think some some subreddits have started banning ai generated imagery entirely um <laughs> yeah but i i think sometimes it's 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 hard to distinguish if this is a unique work created by somebody or if this is ai generated so I don't know how yes. that's going to work in the future. Yeah, Let's see. currently I think we're, we're we're on that point where, yeah, you can generate some stuff that is like pretty much indistinguishable mm. from from uh, the actual be it hand drawn or, or mm. real photos. Um, I think we're, we're going to cross over that point pretty quickly. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Con concerning um, the programming AI, so I, I didn't do a ton of programming lately but just yesterday i i did some uh arduino code for a friend of mine and it just reminded me how it always was in the past <laughs> if you're having an issue put it into google that will lead you to yeah. stack overflow <laughs> yeah. and there's the answer so something just that would just their code yeah just, well that, that that's how programming of often is that you have a problem that already so many had and instead of reinventing the wheel, you already take something that is pretty well working, for example, from Stack Overflow, yeah. and uh, use that in your in your code. And this is also a way how you basically learn to program. And I don't know if 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 in AI that would do that for you would make it just lazier <laughs> okay, and so a worse programmer, or it's if it's, it would make you... It's basically a, a copy-paste assistant. So, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, it, it 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 just reminded me of how I solved my issues yesterday. Yeah, um, of course. It, like if you're copy pasting, like how do I write a, a for loop in C plus uh, plus? Yeah. Is that that's not something that's copyrightable or protectable? Like that's just standard stuff. But yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, where where those just to, to round this out, where, where those sort yeah. of assistants can get really hairy real quick um is when you trust their output when you don't double check their output and you just it it looks good on first sight yeah but there's a bug in there or some yeah. unintentional behavior and i've i've so when i tried uh tried our copilot um i was like okay cool um let's write a function that clears like old database records that were older mm. than for my solo logging stuff like anything that's older than two weeks mm. uh just nuke it And it looked good on first sight, but I noticed there's a there's there's like one filter in the in the query missing that you know ended up you know not just deleting the stuff I wanted, but just deleting everything. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, it, like I said, it looked really good. Yeah. It looked almost yeah. like what I wanted, but yeah. there's that little twist that turns it from yeah. something productive to something destructive. So <laughs> always to be taken with a grain of salt. Yeah. All right, so <laughs> let's continue from I, I would I would even call that making to 3D printing and um, 
Something that is something that is really interesting. So the the Bamboo Lab X1 Carbon isn't even selling yet. It's it's still on pre-order in their own shop, and they just launched or no, they announced teased. and teased. Yeah. Sorry, teased is the right word. They teased a. I wouldn't say a new version of it, a different version of it. So the current X1 is, I think, so the, sorry, the X1 carbon is around 1200 bucks. And with the AMS, so the material unit, it's around 15 or 1600 bucks and things like that. And I think those, they noticed uh, that their machine is good, uh, is good, is good. <laughs> good, good, good. Um, but it is, of course, still on the pricier side. So... Yeah, X1 full price. Just just double checked. Uh, yep. Nine thirty nine plus tax, VAT, import fees, etc. So yeah, you, you yep. you're pretty much spot on um, on that price. X1 carbon is eleven twenty nine, um, also plus tax, shipping, yep. etc. So yeah. So so yeah, they they did announce the uh, or tease the P1P, which is a cost down version of the X1. I, I guess I would call it. Um, they have leaked or intentionally unintentionally leaked some images. It looks like it has like replaceable side panels um, that you can print and, and customize. Um, and yeah, we're, we're probably going to see some features missing from the X1. Um, yeah. After all, it's going to be a, a cost down. And I think that the price has been announced for $699. $699, which is really reasonable to be honest and competitive. So um, as far as I've understood it, of course, they invested a ton of money into tooling for getting um, the stamped and laser welded frame and things like that. And of course, injection molds for the printhead and things like that. And they're keeping all of that stuff. And they probably just looked at a list of items uh, of their printer and sorted it for what's the most expensive and then just went over that. What could we actually get rid of? And... Uh, they got rid of the side panels, which was already an interesting thing because the normal X1 comes with injection molded side panels. The X1 carbon comes with aluminum side panels. I would have thought it would come with carbon fiber panels. That's a bit of a disappointment. Uh, I, th uh, I think the carbon is for the carbon fiber rods that, are, that they're using for the X-axis. So no, the sides are... I, I don't are have one. You have one. You, you know that. <laughs> so... Um, so, yeah, um, they already had like a, a cheaper version of the side panels on the um, normal X1. And now they're just getting, getting rid of them all the way. And I think the really interesting thing about that is that they're getting rid of the side panels, but they are preparing printable side panels that can be customized. So... They give the user an incentive to customize the machine and probably also showing showing it off to others because nah. they say, ah, look look at my printer, <laughs> there, there how pretty go. it is. It is different than others, which is like perfect perfect marketing, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. very well done. And of course, the the new price point at six ninety nine that is now very squarely aimed at the Prusas. Um, where before it was like, yeah, you know, do I, do I get this older printer, this this Prusa? Is it, that's going to be the topic of my next video. So I've, I've thought about this a bit. Do I get this old, solid, tried and true printer that 
does its thing or do i get this new one for a bit more that does a whole lot more from company that isn't that well established like that's been a a thought that people had to go through now it's like well it's the same price or cheaper and i get a machine that is much more capable like why would i get this orange abomination that i I think that's going to be the what what bambula are aiming for here yeah definitely i'm I'm pretty sure they're going to succeed to be honest i i i think they that they are definitely so um one of the th- or a couple of other things that are also missing on the machine i think it doesn't come with a lighter scanner anymore yes. so you don't get the um i think you don't get the first layer calibration anymore though there's been i've seen some some content about like how useful that actually is in terms of how much resolution that scanner actually has yeah maybe so one of the things i i would hope is that they start adding mm, a dial in the menu to adjust the first layer height because this is something you can't do on the other machine because they're just saying yeah we have our our system that measures everything so you don't approach have to... it's like it is we but know the thing what's is best for you but the thing is that just only works really well if you're using for example the build plates and also the build plate coding material that 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 they sell um it already gets harder with their pi coded plates because it already has a structure and i Who, currently have bamboo right not not automaker uh, b- bamboo yeah bamboo, okay and um i for example have some uh wambam sheets for the x1 right and they use a pretty thick kind of translucent pei sheet or px what are they calling it so is it stickered or is it is it, is it it's stickered okay and the thing is i think my lighter scanner just so it doesn't only scan like the height of my normal extrusion it will scan all the way down to the uh to the steel plate okay. so it always so that like messes way too high yeah it sometimes messes messes the measurement up um but yeah so of course this is a bit of a price point and they got around that so i'm it is nice on the X1, but one of the things I really hate about the X1 is that when you start a print, it takes five to ten minutes with all of the auto calibrations and things like that, which is sometimes a real pain. Okay. Yeah. Um, so they also got rid of um, the color touchscreen. It now just looks as if they're having a. So um, the, is it two two point seven inch one ninety two by sixty four screen? So yeah, that's really click simple wheel, screen. Click wheel and a, is, that, is that an OLED? Is that just a monochrome yeah. OLED? Almost looks like it. Something. Um, it's it also I doesn't have the the camera anymore. So uh, chamber monitoring camera, which again, it 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 only now um, makes sense to me. Like yeah, the the feature of of being able to create time lapses with the X one camera, mm-hmm. that is fantastic marketing because people are going to post their time lapses. Um, yeah. That camera is now gone, so it's optional. Um, yeah, that's the thing. Um, and and they are selling those accessories for for quite a low price. But of course, um, if if it's for them five bucks, you're gonna pay fifteen bucks for that in the end. Um, it just adds up in the end. Um, for sure. There there are no side panels anymore. Um, of course, the side ones are printable, but there isn't one on the top, and there isn't a door anymore so you don't have Mm. the benefit anymore for kind of a heated enclosed chamber 
yeah. which is good for PLA, to be honest, but it's yeah. bad if you're looking to print, I don't know, nylons, polycarbonates and things like that. And one of the things I really enjoyed about, I really enjoy about the X1, it, it has a proper big size carbon filter uh, inside of it. Hmm. And all of the air that gets exhausted to the back goes through that carbon filter. And um, it's at least helping a little bit if you're printing ABS to, to get rid of the smelly and nasty fumes. Yeah. Um, so one thing that strikes me about the P... Is it P1 or P1P? The URL P1P. says... P1P. Yeah, the, the oh. URL says P1, but the model number says P1P. So, okay. Anyway, uh, the, the cheap bamboo. Um, it comes with a dual-sided textured PI plate. So the same thing that, that you got in the Prusa. Um, mm. But it maxes out at 100 degrees Celsius on the build plate. Is that the same on the X1? Because 100 degrees seems rather low to me. The X1, I think, goes to 120. Okay, so that um, that might no. be a real limitation when it comes to printing. Because the hardening goes to 300 degrees. Um, but when you want to print stuff like even ABS, 100 degrees is tight. Um, polycarbonates, nylons, those can need a bit more temperature than, than yeah. what you get there. Well, it's a cheap down version, to be honest. Um, and especially with like the open frame design, it is probably more aimed towards users that print PLA on it. And to be totally honest, I guess the people that already have the X1, 90, 95% of the prints that is done currently on this machine is, is probably PLA already. So as As with any printer, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, one thing that that kind of strikes me here is uh, interesting, to say the least. So, <laughs> electrical parameters are saying max power. So, it, it's a machine that runs on one hundred to two hundred forty volts AC. Um, so, it's one same one one same version, whether you get it for the US uh, or for Europe or anywhere else in the world. But rated power is three hundred fifty watts at one hundred ten volts. And a kilowatt at 220 volts. <laughs> so what that says to me is they're using the same, they're using, a, first of all, they're using an AC heated bed, um, one that connects directly yeah. to the mains uh, input. But they're also using the same heated bed for both the 110 and 220 or 230 volt version. And they're just capping out the max temperature or limiting the power on the 220 volt one. So the 220 volts, <laughs> plugging that printer into 220 volt, you should be able to uncap it and run it hotter than that. <laughs> Maybe like 200 degrees until the, the, the heated bed burns off, but a thousand watts like that is that is plenty of power to get a, a 10 inch bed uh, up to temperature. I that didn't strike me in the, f in the first place, but yeah, you're, you're totally right there. Um, which means that we that we in our 220, 230, usually 235 around here, to be honest, we are getting basically a 800 watt heated beds on on our machine yeah i i would think that it's capped uh in firmware like it, it, it would need to some well would you it need to be you mean the duty cycle or yeah yeah definitely Maybe. max temperature if it says 110 and if, if it's well if it says 100 mm. degrees and in two 230 volt regions it goes to 150 mm. that would be weird um <laughs> yeah yeah okay <laughs> um it yeah it it's it's definitely i think it's definitely kept in firmware maybe it is kept in firmware to just have a reason to buy the the x1 
Possibly. Um, mm, I. Maybe they're using cheaper materials. They're not, not just they what that they're that are not capable of handling the higher temperatures. I'm not. I'm not sure. Yeah. In any case, yeah. Uh, yeah. we're gonna find out. Uh, you have one incoming. I have decided yeah. I'm gonna not miss the train, not, not miss the boat again. Um, yeah. I'm gonna get one too. So both of our machines are currently in 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 Bahrain somewhere, uh, waiting yeah. to <laughs> to be inspected by by German customs when they get here. So we're gonna have some. Um, and by the time that the announcement uh, goes live, which is going to be soon, probably by the time that uh, I don't know when, when we're going to publish this episode, but it should be very soon or by the time you're listening, it should already be out um, and as soon as I get mine, I'm going to unbox it. Um, there's going to be a live stream of course. Of course I say so so casually when there's like one camera set up in the studio <laughs> but yeah, we're, we're going to have a look at, at all those things and we're going to explore that machine. Just, just one kind reminder, for, a reminder for the live stream. Um, just remember that the print platform is screwed down for shipping, <laughs> because I, I almost ripped mine out because I didn't read the manual. You know how good I'm with, uh, with reading manuals. Like, I, I yeah, no <laughs> so chance I'll forget that. That's the reason why I'm warning you. <laughs> yeah, but. Here's the thing. I, I I don't intentionally play dumb uh, when I do print unboxings, but I feel like it's not necessarily a bad thing that I'm like not running at full brain capacity for these yeah. things because somebody who who's never touched a printer and, and whose first machine this is might yeah. miss the same things that I'm missing when I'm yeah. uh, running a live stream, looking at chat, trying to to manage cameras, yeah. doing all that at the same time while I'm trying to figure out how to actually unbox a printer and try to run yeah. the machine so i don't think that's a bad thing of course on camera it looks like i'm, I'm stupid it looks like i'm an absolute <laughs> moron taking this thing out of the box uh might be part of the appeal but like i said i don't think it's a bad thing i, I think it's it makes for a more realistic experience um yeah. what 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 machine was that i think it was the form labs one where it was like this unboxing experience is so spot on where they had the yeah. the blue tape and the color-coded mm -hmm. orange uh, plastic injection molding pieces that were stuck in the parts that were secured for shipping and it was mm -hmm. extremely clear that before you run this machine you have to take this part out and all the blue parts and all the orange parts um like the signal push orange um inject was it orange or was it all blue i don't remember but it was incredibly clear that those parts needed to come out yeah. um so if there is something like that on the bamboo i would expect that to be like a similar approach because it's not unheard of to have like very clear visual cues as in this doesn't belong in the printer before you start running it so on my machine there were some small stickers with an arrow but somewhere just on the bottom of the printer and i didn't ah, see them so yeah um one last clarification i just checked the comparison page interestingly on the x1 and the x1 carbon the 220 volt systems can get to 110 degrees Celsius and the 110 volt systems get all the way to 120 degrees Celsius. So this looks as, at least on this version, they're using two different heat beds and maybe they just screwed up the calculation for <laughs> the resistance of the heated bed. I don't know. Uh, okay. Yeah. I'm I'm thinking of like engineering reasons why the higher voltage one would have lower power, but it 
just doesn't make sense. Really. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. That, that's what the page is saying. Just okay. wanted to add that here. So you you would be better off running yours on a transformer. No, but it's 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 actually different versions, right? It's not just okay. It's not just a switch. Yeah. yeah. Because I mean, what what it could do, and what my 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 uh, my espresso machine actually does is um, there are two heating elements uh, on the on the boiler. Mm-hmm. Um, a rapid topic switch here. <laughs> <laughs> there are two heating elements on the boiler, and on the two twenty volt versions, they're wired up in series. And mm-hmm. on, I would assume the one ten. I've not seen the one ten version. They would be wired up in parallel. So yeah. If my if my math is right, that would make for the same amount of power, the exact mm-hmm. same amount of power, um, two thirty versus one fifteen or one ten, yeah. um, and that could be something that Bamboo might be able to do with with something like a, a heated bed. But then you of course lose the ability to just plug it into mm-hmm. a different voltage. But who does that really? Or maybe the, and I'm not sure about that. Maybe. The I would need to check my B-roll. Uh, maybe the old version is r- uh, the heated bed is running on twenty-four volts, and the new one is only running on AC. Was there a a mid-cycle refresh? No, there was wasn't a, a mid-cycle re- refresh. But I'm asking myself if if my X1 the heated bed is running on mains or if it's running on twenty-four volts. Okay. But I think it's running on mains. To be honest, quite sure there. But yeah. If if somebody knows, please let us know. Yes, we always appreciate the comments. Um, coffee, maybe maybe let's touch on, on coffee later. Um, <laughs> if we if we still have the time. Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, let's do the other big Kickstarter launch, which is the the Anchormake M5, which you wanted to briefly touch on because there's been. Sort of a lack of content or coverage on the M5. It was like, hey, there's the Kickstarter, and now it's gone. Now the, you, I mean, I don't think I've seen a single post except for ads um, on the M5 ever since the the initial Kickstarter hype. Um, so, yeah, what's what's going um, on there? Well, the the thing is that Anchor. Probably because just it's it's because it's a bigger company. They are not handing off samples of of their printer as openly and freely as Bamboo Lab does. Um, maybe it's a different marketing strategy. They're currently, I think, li- delivering the units to to the Kickstarter backers. And I don't know. I kind of find it okay to at first deliver machines to Kickstarter backer before you. Yes. Absolutely. I don't know. Absolutely. Have have pre-orders stacking up from others that are waiting for their machine? Yeah, and also so maybe maybe side note, um probably a year ago now I, I talked to Prusha about the XO and I was like, Hey, by yeah. the way, if you ever get this thing out the door and you, you yeah. want some coverage, like feel free to send me one. It would be really interesting mm-hmm. in taking a look. You have pre-ordered one, I have not. Yeah. I was banking on the hey, yeah, or influence or whatever, you know, <laughs> you, you, you're gonna get spammed with review units anyway. But Prusha was like, yeah, you know, uh, we're going to fulfill all those pre-orders first before we start shipping out machines to people, you know, who just, you know, mm-hmm. want to review them, um, mm-hmm. want to cover them. And I, of course, that sucks for me. You're, you're going to be like months earlier um, if I even <laughs> get one. Um, 
but yeah, totally makes sense. I think that's that's a good way to handle it. Yeah. Um, and if Anchor are doing the same thing, yeah. props to them. Yeah, but on the other hand, and um, you were kind of able to follow that a, a bit on Twitter at least, Anchor is handing out quite shitty contracts to influencers. They're not just saying, okay, here's a unit, do whatever with it. Uh, they, they want more control than other companies do. And some of us, also including me, uh, we're not really happy about like the current situation with the influencer review unit contracts. And this is one of the reasons, maybe because I also don't, well, this is probably one of the reasons why I also don't have one because I said I can't really sign this contract at the moment. Yeah. Because it would hinder me with just freely talking about it, probably with comparing it to 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 a Bamboo Lab printer. Yeah, so, because the like the the M5 is more expensive <laughs> than the the P1P. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. and uh, they 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 wouldn't have like a comp they wouldn't want to have a comparison in 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 a video if if they would need to sign off the videos. So I was thinking about buying one or borrowing one from from somebody for a review so just for the reason that i can say anything about it i guess since there's currently a bit of backlash from the community and from a couple of influencers maybe they gonna rethink the terms and i hope that they they're doing that yeah uh just just to add to that of course it's the <laughs> <laughs> the the obvious answer is yeah just just buy one like everyone else and then you can can review them but we've talked about this before it's just not viable to to buy and then resell and whatever uh, all the machines that that are, get featured on the channel um we don't quite have that much money lying around but um you just don't in, no i spent <laughs> i spent it all on coffee equipment um <laughs> Not, not yet, not yet. Um, I, I, I made some some budget conscious decisions, but yeah, the 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 thing with with Anchor might just be that it's coming from a different culture. And uh, Naomi mm. has has talked about this before, just on like occasions when it came up. Is there is a drastically different approach to what an influencer is supposed to be and 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 what their job is essentially um, in. Asian markets versus Western markets, so it's it's very much bleeding over into into Western markets as well. Um, typically, the approach of of many Chinese companies is, yeah, you're an advertiser for us. You're a likeness that promotes product uh, products and you know gets gets money in exchange. Essentially, that's that's why so many Chinese companies reach out and say like, hey, what is your your rate for reviews? How much do you mm -hmm. charge for a review? And I'm always like. Dude, I don't charge for reviews. I I make the decisions here, not you. Um, but yeah, it's I, I think it's just a different understanding of of what a influencer in uh, you know as much as everyone hates that term, but in I think in in this in in this culture it is more appropriate than ever to to really say, hey, this is an influencer. This is somebody who is bought by the company mm -hmm. who, and who is really yeah conveying a message that has been laid out for them so might be a bit of a, of a cultural misunderstanding um whether one approach is better than the other i don't know uh just i i just want to say keep that in mind when when we're talking about anchor who is 
Oh, what are they designed? Let me let me grab my my Anchor battery. And I've done I've done I've done integrations for Anchor too, right? For the for the power station, and I think that's a good product. I use their products. I use their cables and stuff. Yeah. Like I don't think they're they make a bad yeah. product, but yeah, they they I think very much are a Chinese company that kind of have the uh, appeal. The they 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 seem like a more Western company than they actually are. Mm. So. Not, not and, and I don't want to say with that that I'm gonna boycott the M1. I would really like to take M5. a look at it. And uh, sorry, M1, M5, M5. Um, things get mixed up in my head. Um, yeah, but I would just really like to do it as as I also did it with with other units in the past. Yeah. And maybe in the end that requires me to borrow a unit from from somebody. So yeah, we'll see. We'll see. As well. Talking about boycotting. <laughs> who, who are we boycotting? We've, we've got a couple uh, <laughs> points here in the notes. Who, who, are we, who are we starting with boycotting? Let's start with this one at first. Okay. I, uh, and I don't, I don't want to stretch this out too much because it's yeah. uh, um, 3D, printed, 3D printing industry. Um, apparently, they're not the nicest guys who would have thought um so for for me I, I i don't i don't want to say i started this but for me the the the, the contact point with 3d printing industry was like um michael perch reached out or, or sent a sent a reply on, on twitter was like hey i've got a message for you regarding the 3d printing awards and i looked at it and i was like okay it's the typical um, popularity contest sort of uh, awards and i tweeted about it was like hey what is What's the worth of... I, I've got a paraphrase here. Um, is this sort of award worth anything when really it is just depending on how much I promote your site so that I can get people to vote for me? Um, because there's no independent jury. There's no... Well, there's no independent jury, right? The only The only means as to how that award gets generated is people clicking on your name on their site. And then... That the thinking behind that, of course, is the winners of those awards are then going to proudly uh, display those awards, those badges um, of like, hey, look, we got voted by 3DPI or by, by the community there as the best brand or the best influencer. The community advocate, I think, is, is what they're calling influencers. <laughs> um, and in turn, that that really is just a, a bolstering of relevance for the companies in that case um giving out those awards whether it's 3d printing industry or all 3dp or any of the many other award generation platforms it's really there to to like have your badge all 3dp or 3d printing industry listed on the on the page or on the package or where in whatever marketing materials and creating a feeling of relevance for yourself uh and i was like well that's that's kind of worthless isn't it and sort of as a result, or or as a f- almost a sidetrack of that, Joel got into it and was like, "Hey, yeah, uh, you know what? I'm, I'm I I feel the same way, but can we like make a good thing out of this? And and can you donate the the revenue you create from running this um, this awards vote thing? Um, can you donate this to to a good cause?" And Michael was like, "Yeah, sure." And then two days later, he blocked everyone. He blocked like half the 3D printing community on Twitter. 
Um, and apparently he had been harassing, and I think that is the word they used, um, David and Joel, David, Joel's producer, uh, for weeks before this. So I have no idea what was going on there behind the scenes. Uh, it doesn't shine a particularly good light on, on Michael Perch and on 3D printing industry, but yeah, yeah. Stop. Yeah. Stop. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not great. Uh, yeah, it's not great. Well, you you're totally right about the contest. Well, that you don't have a jury and 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 really uh, s selecting. Well, they're looking for. Um, I just have the uh, the the award um, survey open. Uh, the most the company that does most in sustainable for additive manufacturing and things like that it's it's just a a poll for who can motivate the most people to to, to vote for themselves and yeah. this is kind of unfortunate because that makes the award kind of irrelevant if you, it, it's well, rather if who, you know who, how it gets who is generated. the most liked in community yeah if you if you, if you know how it's generated then it's it's irrelevant but if yeah. If it has the the appeal and the, the the look of it being some sort of hey this is 3DPI, mm. the editors of a trusted online mm. news outlet journal whatever it is, um, these guys getting together and saying this is the most trusted or the the, the best whatever, um, then it does still have weight behind it right then then it yeah. still seems like it's an, uh, a worthwhile award to to have and to display. But once you know, it's just, it is literally just an online poll. Um, then, yeah, I don't know. I've, uh, I'm, I'm listed on there. I think you are listed on there as well. Um, yeah. I don't they, think I'm going to win. I'm not promoting it at all. Uh, I, I hope they, I don't win. And if I do, I'm they, not going to accept that. <laughs> because it is it is just worthless. It's just, yeah. Uh, it, it's gonna, it's gonna, it's really gonna be interesting uh, to, to to see who's gonna win uh, and 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 what's happening there. Yeah, but the thing that I also really don't don't like about so I would have been okay with the awards and they have been doing that for years now, but just harassing like people from the community promoting their their contest is is kind of sh shit. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, that's it. We'll see who's who's gonna win. Um, we're both on the list. Um, I, I just noticed they, they they have a short with video with your with your topology optimized shelf bracket on their YouTube channel. Did they link to that? Yeah, they, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to check my, my YouTube. Oh no, they do out. not. Ah, so isn't that that's not yours? Or did they just sell? <laughs> sorry, sorry for you guys listening in here. Um, yeah, maybe maybe There's, you can start talking about um, your Formnext experience. Yeah, well, Formnext. My, so my copyright page here in YouTube Studio. <laughs> uh, so I was on Formnext last week, and unfortunately, did not post any real content about it so far because I just want I had to take the weekend off because it was stressful before. It was stressful on Formnext, but it was really really interesting. Um, I was there, I arrived Monday night and was there until Thursday afternoon. So around about three days and there are three, three huge halls with 
hundreds and hundreds of exhibitors. Yeah. And there's a ton of interesting t stuff to see. There is more and more also <laughs> consumer stuff. Sorry. Yeah, sorry about the, 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 the seeing joke. We're going to tie to that in a second. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, and it is even hard to see everything if you are concentrating for two days and just walking around the booths and, and just trying to get an idea of, of what people are making. So... Yeah, um, I mean, even, even uh, Earth, which is probably one-fifth of the size if at all um of yeah, form next I, I think even less even less than that yeah so that, that was of course, tough to do in two days um, yeah of course not not everything is interesting for consumers um sure. there is a lot of very expensive machines there which is interesting to see totally honest there but it's not something that that you and me are gonna buy it's it's still very much a trade show at heart even though from from yeah. what i'm gathering it, it it has sort of shifted away from the yeah. pure b2b to more of yeah. a consumer thing as well so over the years i think prusa was there first time in 2018 or something like that so prusa was there uh, e3d was there duet was there creality was there about whom we're going to talk in a second. Yeah. <laughs> um, and a lot of other like manufacturers or just resellers and, and things like that. So it was really interesting. And I, I think I filmed right around 25 videos, Ooh. 25 booths. How? How? Yeah. Um, oh, 25? I think 25. God damn it. Is that so, going to be 25 individual videos or? No. no so... Okay. Two things. So when I was at Murph, I did it in a way that I filmed four projects and I did four shortish videos for three, four minutes about the project. But I thought since there's so much stuff uh, to be seen at Formnext, I gonna do mm, a couple of videos on different categories. So I don't know, interesting, amazing 3D printers or at, at Formnext or non-planar printing at forum next and then just uh take the footage that i've done at that booth do a bit of voiceover explaining everything what was going on there in a really short and and precise manner something that i like yeah and then just go over those like 25 videos that i made quite quickly in two three four videos not sure yet still need to organize my stuff um but I also thought about if this would be a possibility to do a couple of shorts videos. So maybe besides having just like four big videos where each video features, I don't know, four to eight different companies to have an additional shorts video about each of the booths. Don't know if my viewers going to hate it or if this is something viable I'll need to think about. That. From from what I understand, YouTube is splitting out shorts Um more away from the from the main video feed and making it sort of their own thing um so you're not bombarding your viewers with 25 shorts uh, but currently the, the short videos are still being shown at least on desktop in my right. in my um like subscribe subscription feed and i i honestly i hate it at the moment that people are putting out so many short videos oh well, youtube's pushing for it so yeah uh, they're pushing what, what for it, so, so I don't know. Um, maybe if there's <laughs> some interesting things um, 
where I could make a short about that. I, I just might try it out. I will not do this um, on, on every of the 20, 25 booths that I filmed. But yeah, it was interesting. So I filmed a ton of more consumer-related things. Um, but I also filmed a couple of things about really interesting projects about, for um, of, for example, the, the Fraunhofer Institute that yep. usually have several booths there that show uh, engineering of the future a bit, um, augmented reality, controlling of a printer, um, um, an ETH tool chain. So th this, this was really interesting. They, they had a Microsoft HoloLens there. Mm -hmm. And they had an Ultimaker, and this Ultimaker could be controlled with the AR goggles. So, so um, you had a menu next to the printer just flowing in midair. Um, you could do maintenance work, and it would directly show you in this AR view where the part is that you need to service and uh, giving you hints okay. how to do it. Then you look next to the printer where there was just like mm, a menu of, of different three-dimensional parts that you could just pan and rotate and everything and then you really grab them in space and put them on the printer it was it was really nice it was really nice yeah yeah i, I was at first i was wondering like okay what's the how do you control a 3d printer with like ar and and, and probably yeah. this is this is some hand capturing yeah. where you have some control or something yeah exactly because what, what you often see is just like yeah you can move the tool around and basically freehand yeah. draw with the 3d printer which is <laughs> novel yes but useful no uh <laughs> But yeah, the, the the thing where it's like maintenance, I think that that's where Hololens maintenance, really, yeah, th that exactly. that's where it's really pushing into, um, yeah. and also training and, and all that sort of stuff. Mm. Um, we get the additional information. And it's like, hey, yeah, that there's your part, the the grabbing parts and putting it on the print bit. Cool. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> it's a gimmick. Yeah, not necessary. No. No. But just we just we just talked about you not reading manuals, but if an if AR goggles and things like things like that would be more common in the future, you get a new machine, you take on your AR goggles, and it just directly walks you through the process yeah. of unpacking something, getting something to work, and especially that's, maintenance. That's going to be a it's, pain to live stream, though. <laughs> um, Are you going to get like the the AR feed that he? Oh God! So what what I asked them to do is they were. Um, screen recording the AR camera. So right. I have I have a view what I basically saw through my camera, which looks way nicer than having just like wearing the goggles because it's way more high resolution. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it was really nice. And there were made uh, way more things. So I also did a quick shoot at, at EOS um, about metal additive yep. manufacturing. Want to talk a bit about that, um, and we'll see. Yeah, I, I need to start. I wanted to start today, but then we had the power outage, and then we were now we're recording the podcast. The podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so tomorrow, tomorrow morning, I'm gonna start, yeah. and I hope to have the first one ready for for Saturday. Nice. We'll see. Um, yeah, it's, one one of the things that is a bit further away from all those those pro applications is uh, the free laser eye surgery that he may have gotten at, at Creality. Um, have you have you actually seen that booth? I have seen the booth. I didn't film something at their booth, uh, fortunately or unfortunately. <laughs> what if, what if, oh God. The, the, just imagine the drama you could generate off of that if you actually walk yeah. away with eye damage. So yeah. 
what what Creality apparently did um, is they ran a laser cutter with no enclosure, <laughs> which is you know they're, they're, they're typical. Hey, it's an X and a Y axis, and it's an open laser dial just poking down at your at your at the material you're cutting. They had already yeah. burned the table. Uh, there was already burn marks on there, which <laughs> people on Twitter are like, yeah, that's super common. Like, don't worry about that. But then I'm like, yeah, but you've got like the open laser diode and you can literally poke your finger in there. And if there's anything reflective in there, like it's going to be shooting out into a, mm. a trade show crowd. Don't yeah. you see how that's an issue? Uh, yeah. And the best thing is like people commenting like, yeah, but I don't think like safety equipment is is like should be on on consumer devices. I think like on professional stuff, like sure, but on consumer devices, I'm not. So, I'm like, dude, are you really saying that that like only pros need two working eyeballs? Like, I I don't think so. I would like to have two eyeballs as well. Um, so yeah, that obviously is the. Well, I, I I don't even know if this is like just not caring. Just knowing this is a dangerous product and just running it on the show floor or not knowing that what they're doing is incredibly stupid. Mm -hmm. Uh, In either case, it is pretty irresponsible. Um, And I am surprised that it, uh, you know, I I probably would have called the cops on them if if there's anything that that looks dangerous because I I don't know. (laughs) And now people, of course, are going to say, oh, yeah, of course you're going to complain about that. No, it's just, (laughs) yeah. So I, I think the um, the um, the trade show team took away their power supply for for the thing, uh, and uh, yeah. well, I, uh, I think they they were just stupid in a way. In, in a way and that this, only so I talked I, I talked to a couple of guys there, and some who are also a bit involved in especially Chinese companies, and and many of them told me. The thing is that many of those guys and even the ones that you're seeing on on events like this, they don't use like 3D printers of the things that they manufacture and basically work on every day in their spare time. So they might have designed something but never really used it or be part of the marketing but don't really know what, what they're doing. Really, Which- I don't know. Honestly, from from what I'm seeing, isn't that uncommon in in Western countries either? So yeah, but they, they said that this, that this is even way more common um, in in Asia, and I don't really want to say something that bad. But it if things like running a um, a laser engraver openly on on such an event happens it just shows that there is also a potential danger involved in that yeah though again we're so, gonna get people arguing that this is not dangerous at all which da- yeah. dangerous side dangerous side um there are very clear rules about which devices you can import and mm-hmm. sell within the european union yeah. there is machinenrichtlinie um the, yeah. which is part of ce uh, required for machines like this and Open laser cutters simply do not adhere to that. So importing it for, I think for commercial purposes, I, I, I'm not sure, but importing it uh, or especially selling it within the EU completely off the table, but companies do it anyway because yeah. they can get away with it um, until something happens. And then there's a bit outcry, uh, a big outcry and nothing really happens. So <laughs> yeah, um, responsibility aside, the, that device is illegal here in the EU. So maybe it was just a really good 
marketing strategy because do you remember the the search lights some nightclubs have on their roof maybe just they they just aimed for having kind of a similar light over the creality booth <laughs> <laughs> and lighting the roof and guiding everyone there to, to the big fire yeah yeah uh, <laughs> i don't know uh, I, i still remember murph tw 2019 where people bought and i think gifted a fire extinguisher to anet that were right, exhibiting yeah. there yeah there was something happening there <laughs> <laughs> well wasn't wasn't Barclays involved in that maybe I don't, I don't really remember remember anymore but there was something in, what, in, in, in that yeah what, what, what this entire creality thing reminds me of is is the german saying uh is the roof has ruined leipzig's gänzlich ungeniert um, basically <laughs> once you've ruined your, your your reputation you can stop giving a fuck yeah. so yeah <laughs> Uh, so let's let's maybe skip this next topic because that's yep. going to be a longer one, and we're going to save yep. it for next time, so we have some juicy content there. And I'm just going to briefly touch on 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 the hobby I'm trying to pick up, which is coffee. I talked about this last time, and I did make a uh, I did make a purchase, which I I, I believe is reasonable. Um, <laughs> I got myself a. I think I'm just going to get myself the, the the James Hoffman Essentials machine. Um, I got myself a Gaggia Classic, a new classic. Um, which is coincidentally not the new classic, but the classic, the machine that James Hoffman used to sell. Um, he used to be a, a salesperson for Gaggia UK. So uh, good machine so far. The problem is I don't have a grinder, and as such, I can't make coffee with it yet. <laughs> so I've, I, how, how, how is it called? I need to uh, put that into Shona. Gaggia, Gaggia, new classic, or the classic pro in in uh, uh, new, English new classic English speaking okay. companies. They're owned by Philips now. So okay, so um, why don't you have a grinder yet? I'm waiting for Black Friday. Um, okay. I'm hoping Black Friday is going to give some 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 deals there. Um, I currently have a Hario hand grinder loaned from a friend, um, but that thing is okay. absolutely not consistent or suitable for espresso. Probably great for uh, for V60, but um, espresso out out of the question does not work. Um, I kind of want a niche. I, I don't know if I should buy a niche. That's a 500-pound grinder from the UK. <laughs> um, uh, I, 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 I think that would be unreasonable to get something that yeah. expensive. Um, there are good grinders in, in a much more affordable price range. But the thing there, is also... Go, go ahead. Uh, you can check. I think last year, Stiftung Warentest, they, they checked a couple of of, of grinders if you want to have a oh. a bit of an uh, I don't know unbiased review kind of unbiased because I bought a hand grinder for my La Pavoni that I now have in my studio after uh, last uh, nice. the recording of last of the last podcast um, but it's really hard to find a proper nice comparison of, of different grinders for different applications yeah. and I remember that Stiftung Warentest had one I think a year ago or something okay. like that I should so that I up. have a Eureka minion? Magnum uh, Minion that's that's the um, other one that I'm looking at it's it's probably yeah. the quintessential German classic uh, classic uh, yeah. coffee mill that, that you can get here and the new one is not as loud anymore as, as mine is mine is horribly loud my, my daughter always uh, closes uh, her ears when the thing is running but the new ones um they are way better 
uh, they're, they're like even hackable. Six or seven different versions of, of that mill with the old motor with, m- yes. with more precise controls, less precise controls. Yeah. The, yeah. I'm really happy with it. Okay. So. But there are better ones, definitely, as always. Yeah, I love this. That, the, <laughs> so I, I guess the, 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 the parallel I, I kind of want to draw to 3D printing is, yes, first of all, coffee making is expensive yeah. if you really want to get into it. It's surprisingly pretty much the same price range as um, as 3D printing. Like you buy a bag of coffee for 20 bucks, you buy a spool of filament for 20 bucks, you mm. buy uh, your, your machines for like 500, 600, 700 bucks, you buy 3D printers for it that sort of amount of money there's parts to upgrade you can get the the bottomless porter filters you can get the um the the, the precision baskets which is your precision mm. nozzles it's the same it's literally the same price range right a, a, a vst <laughs> basket is 25 bucks a nozzle yeah. a precision nozzle is 25 bucks it is <laughs> it is like the exact same thing just different <laughs> but just the the the, 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 the model, the, the way that the coffee hobby industry, because it is, after all, an industry that feeds off of people like me uh, <laughs> who, who kind of want to experiment, um, it, it is so extremely similar to how 3D printing operates. Yeah. And you really got me into thinking about a bit of, like, coffee research after the law after the last uh podcast and just watching more james hoffman videos and so i bought a hand grinder okay and instead of just trying out different grinds i i I found a really nice desktop app where you can grind your coffee finally distribute it over over a paper and and uh check out the, the 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 particle size distribution I did not have the time yet to do that, but I really want to do that. Or you can use um, ImageJ, which is a perfect tool for getting size distributions of particles and things like that. Just doing, just understanding it more because it, for me, it's, as, as you just said, it, it is also interesting like other engineering topics like additive manufacturing because I want to understand it and yeah. how changes affect the final result it's so interesting of course with with coffee i think we, we've touched on this last time there is less quantifiable yeah. uh you can you can quantify the changes in the output less yeah. so than you can do in a 3d print where you can literally look at it and say like that's better yeah. than that yeah. um coffee is fleeting you make one you you taste it you drink it and it's gone after that. Like you can't, you can't put yeah. it on the shelf and say, okay, four yeah. weeks later, I'm going to compare them. You could do that, but the old one is going to be pretty bad at that time. Um, so it is a lot more subjective, but I think the, the, the approach that you can change single parameters and see what they do. Um, I think that very much lent itself to, to experimentation and to, to mm. just diving into the, the the changes in parameters versus yeah. what you get it's 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 fun it's it's a bit frustrating at the start when you're just yeah. f- digging through the mud and you you're not you, you don't really have a clear understanding of what's going wrong no. um but i think learning that could be fun definitely and, and it it can be one of those hobbies also especially for you and me where you're not always like having a camera and thinking about how is the best angle for that you can just enjoy that just yeah. don't drink too much yeah. coffee when you're when your eyes start 
ticking and flickering uh, maybe stop <laughs> yeah well trying coffee I've, i've already tried the the you know one one spoon um <laughs> thing, because if you, you you make you make double espressos typically and yeah. that's quite a bit of, of caffeine if you if you literally have a full double espresso every time you try sitting <laughs> so yeah oh. all right i think that's it with the topics we have one question right here yeah from Gitter. Gitter. and uh he was asking what happened to the plywood cnc um I think that's a question to you because I don't have a plywood CNC yeah. of sorts. I have an, an yeah. MDF CNC. So my plywood CNC is now in the CNC Kitchen Museum. <laughs> you have a museum? <laughs> there, there is kind of a shelf when you get to my office, uh, walk up, up the stairs. And I put my, my Mendel 90 there, which was my first 3D printer. And I also put my old wood cnc router which was my first real big making project uh which also started the channel kind of uh and i also put it put it there so it in theory it's still working but i'm not using it anymore unfortunately i still think that it was a perfect learning project for me and it was inexpensive and just very easy to do because it's all wood parts um i still don't regret that i used wood instead of metal um still think it's a it fantastic engineering material yeah i would have done a couple of things different now with different i used drawer slides for the linear rails which is which works to a certain extent but not everything but i it, it, the the way is the goal uh what's the what's the, the, the english thing for the, the path. Path. yeah so of course yeah, my goal was to have a cnc but the the interesting part for me was building it and learning what worked and what what did not work and upgrading it once it was working because you had a kind of working cnc router which you could use to manufacture more precise parts for yeah, the exactly yeah. same machine um so so with the with the plywood cnc gone do you have a cnc routery thing set up right now uh several to be honest so there is Uh, so the second one that I got was from uh, GoCNC. It was a German company. I think they don't exist anymore, uh, which mm -hmm. is one made from aluminum extrusions. Um, I upgraded that last year with a RepRap firmware board because like the old controller was just horrible. Uh, and that's currently sitting in, in the basement of a friend of mine who is doing, who's building uh, really complex um, sleds for snow. Uh, snow riding things with it and, ah, and, and, and kids toys sleds, sleds. Okay. <laughs> not, not slats okay um yeah then i have the mechanica cnc router which is a bigger one also made from aluminum extrusions and i currently have a big box with the carvera cnc router in my office which is what, what, a cnc router with a tool changer Okay, this is so the, the, the names here are extremely con, uh, yeah. confusing for me. You have yeah. a big box, which was a 3D printer made by E3D before they made yeah. the tool changer. And you I have, have a tool a, changer on them. <laughs> okay. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. I have a, wig, a big wooden box, which still contains the Calvera right. CNC router. Right. right. Which yeah. is, is, a, is, I think, really interesting for manufacturing PCBs 
um, one applications for that. And yep. I think Great Scott um, also has one. So I might need to focus on different things than creating PCBs with it. Yeah, but they're still here. Um, I kind of regularly use them, but it's way more work to set up and just makes, makes way more noise and dirt compared to additive manufacturing. Yeah, I, I, that's the thing with the with uh, CNC routers, like those, like the smaller CNC milli things. Um, I think they're much more work to get set up if you don't constantly use them than a 3D printer. Like I can take yeah. a 3D printer out of the shelf, um, maybe live a little bit, maybe not if it has a sensor, chuck some filament in there, slice something, done but with a cnc it's it's always like okay what what toolpath generation do i do I use do i still have the feeds and speeds for this um how do i clamp down my work do i still know how to best clamp down for this oh i need to manually zero this there's there's a lot less automation going on in in cnc milling maybe that there can't be this much automation because you your, your workpiece is always going to be different um but it's like unless you constantly use the tool you're probably not going to use it at all. And that's, that's I think, what's happened for me. I have the CNC, which I'm not going to explain the name because it's stupid. Um, that is set up in a, in a corner. I think it, it works. It, it's technically functional, but I've not used it for years because it's just... It's also not a... a it, it's missing some core features like work holding. There's zero, zero work holding on the machine. So I, I always need to figure something out. I also have the, the Snapmaker. Uh, the A250T yes. at this point. Um, but that even more so is like, well, you need to convert the entire machine from a 3D printer to a milling setup. And then, yeah, at least the software side is figured out, but it's just more involved than 3D printing, right? And you have to deal with yeah. the mess. You have to deal with it not being able to do aluminum. Mm. <laughs> like if it doesn't do aluminum, like what's the point of not 3D printing something? That's I think that's the the threshold for me. Um, if I need a part that could be made out of wood, I can also make it out of plastic. Well, bigger parts. So my, my, I think my, my mills aren't bigger than my 3D printers. Yeah, so. yours aren't. So the uh, Mechanica Evo, yes. it has 600 by 600 or something like that. Um, it's it's usable for a couple of bigger projects. So that's kind of nice. Yeah, so... That's kind of nice. That's kind of nice. And so, I hope, get, I, hope this, this, I, I want to do the outro. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead, please. We're done? Okay. Yeah. And, and I hope this uh, this episode was kind of nice for you guys to, to listen to uh, or to watch on YouTube. Um, as always, thank you for the time, Stefan. Where can, can people find more of this? Uh, well, they can, of course, find more of this in, well... <laughs> <laughs> in, in the YouTube feed. Sorry, where, where can they find more? Where, where can they find more of it? Well, they, you, you guys can, of course, find us on our YouTube channels, but I, I guess you're probably coming from there. Uh, if you want to listen to more episodes, just, yeah, check our older ones. This is already episode 65, so there's a lot of stuff for you to, to listen to and to hopefully also learn. Yeah, we're, we're coming up on, on episode 69. That one's going to be real nice. That's um, going to be a real nice one. We have, of course, we're we on YouTube if you want to see our faces while we talk, mm -hmm. which I don't know if that adds that much value. You can find us on, on every podcast platform. You can also get the, the direct feed. 
um, the RSS feed on the website, the Melt Zone. Um, if you want to support us, what we do, we don't have any support set up. We, we do have super chat. Super chat. Super, super thanks, super comments. Super thanks. Uh, set up on YouTube. Um, but patron, much appreciated on Stefan's or on my patrons. I uh, think that's it. Yeah. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. And see you guys next time. Bye-bye. Bye.